Christians in our day don't need to be persuaded to lay aside the accounts of Jesus found in the Gospels in order to find a more historical Jesus. Although there's ample outside evidence, the greatest proof that the Bible is true comes from the Word of God itself. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. I am the one who bears witness of myself and the Father who sent me. The Bible offers itself to us not as another data point among others. The Bible offers itself to us as a complete and comprehensive worldview, which is the truth, claims to be the truth. Jesus said in his prayer to God in John 17, your word is truth. Now, some people might say, well, of course he believed that. He was a man of his times. But the remarkable thing about Jesus is not how like his times he was, but how unlike his times he was. That's why they crucified him. Jesus is a serious and competent thinker for all times and seasons. And he said, your word is truth. And if we could recover what he understood and meant by that, we would actually make progress on all the most important fronts today in those things that mean the most to us. The name given to Jesus is the Word. The authority of the Word of God does not come from the study of the historical accuracy of the Bible, the study of archaeology to prove the validity of the Bible, or the study of science to prove the account of creation. Instead, we believe the authority of the Word because Jesus Christ himself gave it. The authority of the Word of God does not come from us being able to prove that it's true. This approach is sometimes called presuppositionalism. The authority of the Word of God is presupposed, that is, believed ahead of time. It is the opposite of evidentialism, the idea that we must seek to prove that the Bible is true by offering evidence. Evidentialism is not wrong. It is important to defend what we believe. However, it's impossible to prove Scripture using evidence from philosophy, history, archaeology, science, and other rational proofs. To do so would be to claim that these proofs have the same infallible authority as God Himself. The Word of God preached is all the evidence that a person needs in order to be saved. We do not need to prove the gospel in order for it to be effective. The Word of God preached is a living and powerful sword that pierces the hearts of its hearers. And while the Word preached is the primary weapon of our spiritual warfare, there is already much evidence of the truth in natural revelation. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. But the truth preached, not the evidence that the word is true, is the only effective message of salvation. Paul writes in Romans 3, 4, Let God be true, and every man a liar. This is not to say that we should lay aside evidence completely. 
Paul preached a sermon in Athens and appealed to evidences that God exists from Greek philosophy. But Paul concluded his gospel message with this key idea. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Truth is revealed not by evidence, but by the word preached. Our problem is not that we lack understanding or need more information. Our problem is that each one of us is a sinner and needs to repent and stop sitting in judgment on God and His Word. The authority of the Bible is implied by the fact that we call it God's Word. Inspiration is the means by which the Bible received its authority. The apostolic writings of the New Testament were boldly described in the same authoritative terms that denoted the Old Testament as the Word of God. The New Testament books were called Scripture, Prophecy, the Word of the Lord, and so on. Every book in the New Testament contains some claim to divine authority. The New Testament church read, circulated, collected, and quoted the New Testament books right along with the inspired scriptures of the Old Testament. The contemporaries and immediate successors of Jesus' apostles recognized the divine origin of the New Testament writings along with the Old. All of the great fathers of the Christian church from the earliest times held to the divine inspiration of the New Testament. There is a continuous claim for the inspiration of both Old and New Testaments from the time of their composition to the present. Of course, skepticism about the Word of God is nothing new. And there have been many great works defending the scriptures written by Christian apologists in earlier centuries. What is new to the challenge to divine inspiration of scripture are the voices of doubt coming from those within the church. Only in the past 150 years has the truth of Scripture been challenged by those professing to be Christians. It is the attack on the Gospels by those claiming a connection to the church that has garnered the attention of the popular media. The fact that there's no positive evidence for the liberal critics' supposed historical Jesus doesn't discourage the popular media from repackaging the claims of groups like the Jesus Seminar. It's startling that a small group of self-promoting liberal theologians using poor scholarship have been able to focus the power of media attention and present to an all too often gullible world their alternative Jesus for the true Christ of the Gospels. In recent years, there's been a flood of publications and shows depicting some sort of newly discovered secret or scandalous information about Jesus. These books and TV programs and news articles that represent their findings ought to be exposed 
as nothing more than self-promotion resting on flimsy scholarship. We live in a society where people love to buy up that which is novel. Fascinating fiction, you know, fun to read, but that's all it is, it's fiction. People come up with this stuff uh, and a gullible public many times will buy into it. And so when you've got a market, people will sell to that market. But it's the same tired arguments that they have used for generations uh, against the truth of Christianity. I've not really seen a whole lot of new information. It's just been repackaged. Many people had thought that the only Gospels there were were the Gospels of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But actually, there were many more than that. There might have been dozens, like the Gospel of Truth, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Judas, the Gospel of Philip, just to mention a few. There wasn't one early Christianity, there were many. You know, all of these studies and these programs and these books uh, that seek to disprove the life of Jesus, disprove the gospel, are really a result of two things. First of all, a passion in this generation just to be, not, not to rebel, really, to not be accountable to the gospel. But second of all, it's, it's a result of this generation's assumption of expertise. Um, it's, you know, with the internet and with uh, resources so available to us and, and computers, people assume they can become experts on something in no time. All of these Gnostic writings, like the Gospel according to Judas, the interest in this in our recent history is a result of, um, of neophytes who just don't have any background, haven't done the hard work for decades, assuming that they've made astonishing discoveries when in fact we've known about these things for centuries. I think the circumstances of this manuscript coming to me were predestinated. It's more than a mission now that I think of. I think I was chosen by Judas <laughs> to rehabilitate him. Judas was asking me to do something for him. I mean, a Gnostic writing 300 years after Jesus that purports to be a writing of, of Judas, uh, essentially saying that Jesus you know, guided him or, or seduced him into a conspiracy theory, just has no academic credibility. And it's one of hundreds of such writings that have long been discounted. The problem is we're in a biblically illiterate generation. Uh, there's no, there aren't as many biblical scholars as there used to be, people who study these things in detail. And so they assume that when they find something like this, they've made some astonishing discovery that ought to rush right onto A&E. And the fact is, it just holds no validity at all. My grandfather always used to say, bright lights attract big bugs. If there's a light, all of the bugs are going to gather around it. And um, the light of Christianity gathers all of these buzzing forces. When Time Magazine, Newsweek, ABC, NBC, CNN, when they, at Easter and Christmas, trot out their obligatory religious shows, they are naturally going to go to the bugs, not to the light. Why? Because they're of the same tribe. There's an old couplet that goes like this, light obeyed increases light, light rejected bringeth night. 
And that is expressing a biblical truth. Uh, it begins in John chapter 1 that speaks of uh, Jesus Christ being the true light that lightens every man was coming into the world. And Paul develops it in Romans chapter 1 when he speaks of uh, the invisible things of God being visible, clearly seen by the creation of the world, being understood by the things that are made so that they are without excuse. But Jesus also spoke of another strange kind of light called the light that is darkness. In Matthew 6, he spoke, Therefore, if the light that is in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? What kind of light can also be called darkness at the same time? Well, it's the light that guides your thinking and that you are pursuing to try to prove a point. And I think that's what the people in the Jesus Seminar are doing. All the liberals are doing this. They have a certain amount of something they call light, but it's actually darkness because it's a set of erroneous presuppositions that they are bringing to their study in the first place, and they're not even aware of it. They're not even aware of the fact that they are bringing to the documents of the Scriptures a worldview which they are going to impose upon or use as the standard of judging those scriptures and deciding which they will accept and which they will reject. It's not the evidence that does it, it's their a priori worldview that is doing it. That is the darkness that seems to generate a certain amount of light. They come out and write these books and they have all these words that scholars have uh, said and they say, see, this is the assured results of modern scholarship and they don't realize that it's all their own imaginations that they've constructed out of thin air. John Spong, an Episcopal bishop, is a prime example of reductionist thinking on the supposed historical Jesus. His position in books such as Born of a Woman, A Bishop Rethinks the Birth of Jesus, is based on the recurring theme that what really happened was covered up by the first century evangelists. Spong's reading of the story of Mary, the mother of God, is that she was really a teenage girl who was raped and became pregnant with Joseph participating in a cover-up in order to protect her. Such analysis prompted Dr. Luke Timothy Johnson to respond. Having a bishop with opinions like these is a bit like hiring a plumber who wants to rethink pipes. From Jesus' illegitimate birth, it's not a stretch for Spong to argue that Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene and that the wedding feast at Cana was really his own wedding. While true Christian scholars have dismissed these creative imaginations as pure fantasy, Many less discerning people, who are nevertheless serious inquirers into the Christian faith, are led to believe that the liberals reconstructed historical Jesus and their version of the origin of Christianity must have a basis in fact. Christological heresies, or errors about the person of Jesus Christ, are all around us in the modern media. Although Christians may soon forget the books, films, and TV programs of the skeptics, Liberal heresy that distorts the true nature of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with us for generations to come. That is, unless we act. If we, the true believers of our age, will only use the resources we've been given, 
we can confront the apostasy that has gripped so much of the church for the past 150 years. We can defend the faith. We can tear down the lies concerning Jesus that have blanketed Western culture. And then we can present the true Christ to the nations of the world.